And it's Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. <coughs> the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. 
So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua son of Nun and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. That's it. Let's, let's pray, shall we? Gracious Father, thank you so much for your wonderful gospel and uh, for what we learn about your mercy and your grace and what it means to trust in you. And we pray that as we uh, look at your word now that um, you would be, uh, we'd be learning more things and that uh, you would be uh, changing our minds and hearts so that we would be people who know the, the, the great reason for the hope that we have. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was, I was at a zoo in Malaysia when they were having one of those bird shows, you know, the bird shows that they, you know, big audience and trainer up the front with and I got picked out from the from the audience to come up the front uh, and to meet the trainer's parrot and uh, she claimed to me that if she she could put a $20 note in the parrot's beak it could fly off in the wild blue yonder come back and return the 20 bucks and she said do I believe that I said yeah I, I'm I believe that, I don't have any problems. And uh, so she said, great, where's your wallet? <laughs> she invited me to open my wallet and hand over my hard-earned cash to a trained bird. Now, at that moment, I knew that my faith was being tested. My faith in her training abilities and my faith in the bird. So what is faith? That's a, I think that's a good question to ask because people can be a bit hazy about what faith is, can't they? There's different, different definitions that people have of faith. Uh, some people think that having faith means you know, believing something to be true simply because you just want to believe it true. You just, you just hope that it's true or you think it might be true or you, they just want it, they, you want it to be true. Um, or that faith means believing in something despite uh, the fact that all of the evidence points to the contrary, as if uh, faith and reason are opposites to one another. Uh, or some people kind of talk about faith as sort of like a, a warm feeling that you've got inside your heart that um, you wish sometimes that you could have more of. And so people say, you know, I wish I had you know, as much faith as you and so on. And you might know of other ways that people use uh, uh, to use the word faith for. What is faith? Well, Joshua 2 is a good place to look for an answer because uh, in this chapter, and you might want to have it open in your Bibles in front of you, in this chapter we're introduced to a lady who is cited in the New Testament not once but twice uh, for being a great example of what it means to have faith. And uh, we meet her in the uh, second chapter of Joshua. Uh, this is a big moment in the 
life of the nation of Israel because after 40 years of wandering around in the desert, uh, the whole nation of Israel, millions of people, they've all gathered across uh, the uh, other side of the Jordan River and they're about to cross over the Jordan River and enter into the promised land that uh, God had promised their ancestor Abraham many, many years earlier. But before they did that, Joshua, their leader, sent two men across the river as spies, especially to check out the walled city of Jericho and to report back. So this great event of millions of Israelites crossing the Jordan River is about to happen. But here in chapter 2, the, the story slows down and the focus is on this one lady who the spies met on the other side of the Jordan, this Canaanite woman called Rahab. Now, the ancient version of security in a city was to build a big wall around a city with big heavy gates that could be closed at the end of the day. And sometimes these walls, uh, they were, the way that they were constructed were like two, two walls with a gap in the middle. And that gap in the middle was so, was so uh, large that uh, they were able to use it for, um, for accommodation and to, uh, uh, for apartments in the wall itself. So people could live inside these sections of the city wall. I mean, if the city was under attack, you might want to move out whilst that's going on. But uh, as these two spies had uh, crossed the Jordan River, they, they had to ford it. They had to go to the parts of the Jordan where it was uh, uh, a bit shallower. They were able to cross over. They went inside one of these dwellings in Jericho, uh, one of the homes inside the wall, which belonged to Rahab. Now, we're not told explicitly why they picked Rahab's uh, house, but there is a big clue in verse, 11. Can you, in verse 1. Can you see what the clue is? Uh, it's got to do with her occupation, what she did for a job. Uh, Rahab, she belonged to the oldest profession, didn't she? Now, we're not told much about her prostitution. Um, she might have been a temple prostitute, um, involving herself in the religious activities of Jericho's pagan worship. Or she might have been a prostitute because that was her business, uh, with her house also being used as a, as a rather seedy place for people, for men to stay. And if so, uh, it may not have just been a convenient place for the, sp for the spies to find lodging, but it might have been a good place to actually pick up on some intelligence, some information about uh, Jericho. Although it's also a place where people would tend to notice the comings and the goings. And... In verse 2, it seems that word had gotten out that uh, these two foreigners, these two men from another place with a very distinctly Israelite-sounding accent, had uh, checked into Rahab's inn, to her home. And so the king sent a message to Rahab to hand over the men. Now, a message. You can imagine what the messengers were like. You know, this is the Jericho Federal Police come knocking on the door and, humanly speaking, 
Uh, this would have been a life or death situation for Joshua's two spies. But it's also a dangerous situation for Rahab because to harbour these two spies would have been an act of, of treason against the state. And yet in verse 7, that is exactly what she did. Uh, her small uh, part of the city wall was multi-storied and by the time these so-called messengers arrived, she had, had, she had hidden the spies in, in the roof on the, the top floor of her apartment and she'd, she'd hidden them underneath some stalks of, of flax that she had stored there. Now flax, uh, that's the, uh, the crop which is used to produce linen uh, and that's, she would have been had storing it there for that purpose. And so when the king's agents came, they came to the door and they wanted to know where the two men were so that they could arrest them, what did she say? Did she say, yeah, look, um, I know exactly where they are. They're up hiding in the roof. You can go and find them up there. Uh, no, she didn't say that. Uh, or did she say, I'm not at liberty to tell you, which would have been the same as saying they're in my house somewhere and would have led to a search. Now, in verse 5, she lies. She says they're not here. In fact, they've just left the city. They, they got out of the city uh, gate just in time uh, because the city gate's about to close and it hasn't quite closed yet. So if you're quick, if you hurry, you, you, you might actually be able to get out of the city gate and chase them and you, you, you'll be able to find them and bring them back. She lied. Now, the question, the obvious, there's an obvious ethical question here and that is, was that the right thing for her to do? Um, now, uh, godly Christians do differ over this ethical issue uh, and it's an issue that came up before for us when we're looking at the book of Exodus. We note here that the writer of Joshua doesn't say one way or the other whether it was right for her to lie or not. He simply reports that that is what happened, doesn't... Um, commend her or doesn't condemn her for it. But I think it's still worth talking about the issue just briefly because on this ethical issue, one, one view is that there are times when a person who intends to do harm to an innocent person actually forfeits their right to hear the truth. Um, because to tell them the truth maybe to hand a death sentence over to another person. And we saw that in Exodus chapter 1 when Pharaoh had ordered the Hebrew midwives to murder all the baby boys when they came, um, when, you know, when they were giving birth to them. And remember, they chose not to obey Pharaoh and they lied to Pharaoh about that. Uh, as a result... In the very next verse in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 20, we're told that God was kind to those women because of what they did. And so we think of um, some more current day examples of this sort of thing as well. Uh, the, um, the, the primary school teacher in the Sandy Hook Elementary School in America who 
heard the, the gunshots in the school playground and took her little children in her classroom and put them into the classroom storeroom and closed the doors and told them to keep absolutely quiet. And when the gunman came to the classroom door, demanding to know where the children were, she said, there's none here. They've all headed up to the assembly hall. And uh, he went off after them at the assembly hall. So she lied. But is she to be judged as a liar or honoured as a hero? Well, I guess you'd have to ask the parents of the kids about that, wouldn't you? It's the same sort of ethical issue of uh, if someone is going to uh, wrongfully take the life of an innocent person, we could argue that they forfeit their right to live at that point as well. I might very well shoot someone uh, if I believe that they were about to open fire and kill the innocent people. It's the same sort of issue. But as I say, godly Christians do differ on that. It's worth making mention of, but it's important for us to note that in Joshua 2, uh, the key issue is not Rahab's deceit, rather the central focus of this passage is in fact not her deceit, but rather Rahab's truth. Uh, and we see it in verses 8 through to 11, which I'd like just to read for you again, verse 8, uh, where it says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when, he, when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, great name that, isn't it? I love it, King Og. Uh, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Uh, and so what we see here is that in hiding the spies, Rahab did not hide those spies for no good reason. She had thought this one through because here she confesses things which she believes about Yahweh, uh, the Lord, the God of Israel. Three things. First of all, she knows that God is mighty. A word about uh, the mighty acts of God had, had spread. Uh, the, the great miracle of the Exodus, the uh, the, the parting of the Red Sea, allowing all of the Israelites to cross on dry ground and then the sea uh, converging and swallowing up the Egyptian army, something like that doesn't happen without news spreading. And it's a mighty act of God that she knew about. In fact, that all of Jericho knew about. Um, also, she mentions uh, in Numbers chapter 21... There were two armies which had attacked Israel when they were en route to the Jordan River. And uh, God had actually given Israel victory over those two armies and they had heard about that. This nomadic nation of people had won 
great victories. And that's why we saw a couple of weeks ago that uh, two and a half of the tribes were able to settle on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so her conclusion is that Israel's God is mighty. Now, secondly, Rahab is also convinced of God's majesty because she believes that uh, Israel's God is the God of, of earth and of heaven. That's what she says here. The God of heaven and earth. Which sounds a little bit like she's saying that he's actually the one true God. Now, <clears throat> what we see here is that this is not blind faith. And I must admit that sometimes I wish we could... Don't take me seriously on this, but sometimes I wish we'd stop using the word faith and replace it with the word trust because that's what faith means. Uh, to have faith is to trust in an object or trust in a person. Uh, if it's reasonable to trust someone when we know enough about that person to know that they are worthy of our trust, that they are dependable. God has revealed himself by his mighty deeds so that even though the Jordan River was in flood, and we'll see more of that next week, Rahab knew that God was capable of bringing all of Israel, millions of people, across the river and giving them victory over Jericho. Actually, um, in verse 11, everybody in Jericho knew that. that was their, their hearts, we're told, had melted in fear because of what they knew about Israel's God. They knew all of this about Israel's God, but knowledge is not enough. Um, genuine faith is not just have, about having a correct belief about God. Uh, it's about that correct belief leading to our recognition of the desperate need that we have. And it leads, it should lead to a seeking of refuge in the mercy of God. And that's what Rahab did. Pick it up at verse 12. Now then, she says, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so knowing of God's might and of God's majesty, she now seeks after God's mercy through his people, which is granted to her. There's still a couple of practical problems that need to be faced. First of all, the city gate is now locked. And so there's a potential problem here that the, uh, the, the police that have gone out searching for them are not going to find them and are going to come back and do a search of the city. So they need to get out of the city. But how are they going to escape Jericho with, the, with the, uh, the gates of the city now locked because it's after sunset. Well, that's easily solved, and that's because of where she lives. She lives in the city wall. And so in verse 15, they, 
It's a matter of just throwing a rope over out the window, climbing out the window and climbing down the rope. Um, secondly, on the day of the battle, how would Israel's soldiers identify Rahab and her family so that they didn't, um, uh, didn't harm them? Well, a scarlet cord in the window. That's how. And that might have been part of the rope that they used to climb down or it might have been something that she'd used in her business, like a, a red light outside a brothel to show that this is Rahab's apartment. Whatever the case, her safety was now assured and the spies were able to return to Joshua with an encouraging report. Verse 24. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Now, in many ways, Rahab embodies what it means to have faith. It wasn't just blind faith. Uh, her trust was based on solid facts. Uh, she knew of God's mighty deeds. And it's the same for us, isn't it? Uh, we trust in that which we know about God, that which God has revealed uh, to us uh, through his word. Uh, we trust in the great historical events of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Remember in uh, John chapter 20, um, Thomas, he's a disciple that we can relate to, isn't he? Doubting Thomas. Thomas said, look, resurrected? I'm not going to believe that unless I can see it for myself and feel his wrists then I'll believe. And of course, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? Uh, he, he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he feels his, and his, con his conclusion is, my Lord and my God. Now, you and I, we can't do that because we, we weren't there and Jesus is now in heaven. But these things have been recorded for us and John in his gospel says these great miracles of Jesus and the events of his life and his death and his resurrection have been written down for us in the subsequent generations so that in knowing these things we too can believe and we too can enjoy life in Jesus, eternal life. And so the... We, the eyewitness accounts of the death and the resurrection of Jesus are a record of what has historically happened. And what that means is that in times when we're perhaps tempted to doubt, and sometimes you know, we go up and down in our Christian lives and sometimes that's got to do with the circumstances around us or our own emotions and feelings and so on, that at that time... In those times, we can look back to the great and unchanging mighty deeds of God, especially in raising Jesus from the dead, and know that nothing changes that. That if Jesus has risen from the dead, then I, can, then I must continue to put my trust in him no matter what else is happening in my life. Now, Rahab knew of God's mighty deeds... 
but it didn't stop there. Um, that day at the zoo, I had reason to, good reason to trust that when the bird flew away, that it would come back with my cash. Um, my reasoning was based on the fact that um, this is a show that they do three or four times a day, six or seven days a week, and they've been doing it for a long time and I haven't heard of too many other people complaining about losing their cash. But if I really trust, then I thought to myself, why only, why only a $20 note? I mean, you know, it shouldn't make a difference if the bird is trustworthy. Why not a $50 note? That's what I did. <clears throat> and if I never saw my money again, I thought, well, that's just going to be an expensive sermon illustration on misguided trust. Rahab didn't just say that she believed in Israel's God. She proved it. She acted in trust. She put her own life on the line in protecting the spies. The New Testament says that she is a great example of true faith. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 and James 2, by protecting the spies, by putting everything on the line she proved that her trust was real. She had no doubts that uh, God was going to, that Israel would take Jericho. And so she put her trust in that. Now what happened to Rahab? Well, let's just turn over a page to Joshua chapter 6 for a moment because, and this is what we'll look at in a couple of weeks' time, when Israel did cross the Jordan and Jericho as a city did fall, and that's an exciting story in itself. Um, but in verse 25, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. How about that, eh? When the author of, of Joshua was writing, um, people could go and talk to, to Rahab and and see that she was living amongst God's people. Rahab and her family found refuge and a new home amongst the people of God. Um, so much so that uh, she, um, she had a family, she, she had a baby, a baby boy, whose name was Boaz. And um, she became the great-grandmother of... Um, uh, a baby boy whose name was, was David, who became king, King David. And you know what that means, don't you, folks? She, she had a descendant, uh, well into the future, she had a descendant whose name was Joseph, who married a girl called Mary, who gave birth to a Jesus, who is the Christ. You find that all in Matthew chapter 1. Rahab. A Gentile, a Canaanite woman, and not of the respectable, moral, middle-class variety. Um, we don't know what circumstances of life she had faced. We don't know what circumstances had led to her being a lady who sold her body to men on a regular basis. 
But what we do know is that God is mighty, majestic and merciful towards anyone who puts their trust in him. No matter who they are, Jew or Gentile, no matter what they've done, no matter the sin of their life, God is merciful. And as people who live this side of the resurrection, we know that what that means is that God is merciful towards anyone who puts their trust in Jesus. That by his death and resurrection that our sins have been paid for. And that as we obey him, we can know with certainty that he will take care of us. That he will not desert us, that he will not forsake us, that he will take us home to be with him and his people for all of eternity. We can trust that. And if we trust in that, then we'll be prepared to give our lives over to loving, serving and obeying him. And in case you're wondering about the bird, I would find it really fun to be able to say to you, that was the last I ever saw of my cash. <laughs> but my trust was well placed. The bird faithfully returned. Money in beak. Friends, we, we can trust God. We can trust God that what he says that Jesus has done for us, he has done. We can trust God that he has raised his son from the dead, meaning that we can have new life. And we can live our lives in faithful obedience to him, even despite the outward circumstances, trusting that he cares for us, trusting that he will bring us through this life, trusting that he will take us home. So shall we pray about this? Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you are worthy of our trust. Father, we thank you that you've demonstrated that so much in the giving over of your son Jesus and his res resurrection from the dead. We pray, Father God, that through all of the uh, stresses and the difficulties and the temptations of life that would say to us, don't trust in the Lord, trust in yourself, that we would resist that, knowing that we have got a sure and a certain foundation for a solid trust. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.